I'm Chris, so good to be with you. Uh, I've got two things I wanna share before uh, we get into the word. Uh, number one, last week I um, gave you a pitch on kids ministry, told you not even to pray about it. Uh, apparently 16 of you did not pray about it and actually went and signed up. We are so thankful for you to go through the process, not only of saying you wanna do it, but filling out the paperwork, getting, getting into, involved in the process because we wanna create safe, spaces for discipleship down there. So we only have like 14 to go. And I just wanna say, um, if every Sunday uh, in that room and in this room, parents are turned away because of the ratios. And so that room, lots of kids and their parents are in there. Um, we have rooms that we would open up if we had more leaders. And so I just wanna invite you, if this is your home, this is an opportunity to take ownership and to really make space for people to come and have their kids be formed and discipled while they are able to worship, including you, if you have small kids. So um, visit our website, go downstairs, sign up. We wanna meet that goal. I think it would just be amazing. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be talking about it, I think, until we're able to, to see that goal met. Uh, today is our last day live streaming as we have been doing it. So in the back, everybody, this is like every person in the back's worst nightmare. Turn around. Tim and Matt are standing over there. And these guys, I believe we've done over a hundred services or somewhere around a hundred services all in. And these guys have got us through that. So Matt brought his expertise when we were shifting the platform. So Ben, who's over there, um, Trinity, if you're aware, back in the pandemic was intentionally very lo-fi in the way that we engaged some of those things. And so we were on a remarkably steep learning curve. And as we began to transition to live streaming this 11 o'clock service, Matt's expertise was absolutely invaluable. Tim was a part of this process from the really almost the very beginning when we were just shooting videos um, you know, he's seen more bloopers uh, than you could imagine. Um, there was one moment where, yeah, I'm not even gonna get into it all, but these guys have been a part of this story and I just wanna honor the two of you. We're so thankful for who you are. You don't just do this as a job. I know this has got heart involved in it too and we feel that. Um, we are gonna keep live streaming. So those of you who are watching this now, don't panic. We're just bringing it in house. And so if you have any interest in serving or volunteering in, in, in the, the A part of AV, reach out to Ben at atltrinity.org. We're gonna be pulling this thing in house. But you guys, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did. Hundreds of people a week watch our live stream in addition to the more than a thousand that come in these buildings. And COVID was a weird time. And we've discovered that there's like real gifts in being faithful stewards over what God's called us to do. And you guys were instrumental in that process. So thank you, God bless you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 20. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, oh, oh, I got uh, face surgery this week, so it's all good, but I'll just tell you all so that I don't have to tell a hundred of you in one-on-one -on -one conversations. So um, Jenny Hundley is a woman who I love dearly and she is a dermatologist and I don't go to the doctor very often, but I do go to the dermatologist and she said, you've got a thing on your face that you need to have it cut off. And I did successfully. So cancer free in front of you. Thank you. Uh, but I do have a big bandage on my face. It's a little bit awkward for conversations because people are like, oh, it happened to you. I had a hole cut into my face. So there we go. And you can laugh about that, it's totally fine. The first service I said it and it got like dead silent in the room and I thought, guys, don't be weird about this, it's totally cool. I'm gonna read and pray 
Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in this kind of like middle to late section in, in Matthew, and Jesus is saying some really challenging stuff. That continues today. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at sin and division in the church, then forgiveness among Christians. And today we're going to be talking about entitlement and expectations. And so Jesus is on a roll uh, and we're rolling with him. So I'm going to read, we're going to pray, and then we're just going to jump in and do our very best to try to hear Jesus speak to us. Um, I, my, my prayer for you before I read is that you would let him speak to you, um, that you would allow him to get at some of those things that might be dragging you down in your life right now. Verse one in chapter 20. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, a denarii, we've talked about that recently, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again at noon and about three o'clock and he did the same. At about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Ouch. This is one of those moments where you probably are thinking, I'm not sure I agree with whatever this economic worldview is that Jesus is holding. And I would say to you that before we pray, it's important to name that. Like if this is hitting some of that stuff in you where you're just like, that doesn't seem right. Um, that's actually what Jesus is trying to do is excavate stuff that we would r rather probably push down or gloss over. So if this bothers you, let it bother you. And then let's ask God for the grace to be curious and to listen to what Jesus has to say. I think he has something to say to us. Father, we ask for your grace to hear the stories of Jesus, the stories that he told, that he tells, and we pray that we would be able to internalize and listen on a deeper level, Lord. We, we bring to you even our own discomfort at a story like this. Because it doesn't seem fair. Not the way our world works. Not the way we want the world to work. Especially if we've been in the field all day. So we ask God for your grace. We ask God that you would help us to listen in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So three things to note at the very beginning. Number one, God is the landowner. It's his vineyard. He's the boss. He's in charge. It's his money. And I, I actually think that that isn't as obvious as we would like to think that it is. I, I think that we often, many of us, 
have experienced this. I experience this on a regular basis. I often want the therapeutic aspects of relationship with God, but somehow shirk or push back when God tells me he's the owner, he's the boss, he's the landlord. And we live in a world increasingly where that seems up for grabs. We're not sure that that's the way we want it to be. In this story that Jesus tells, God is the landowner. He is, he's the boss. It's his vineyard. It's his money. They're his grapes. It's his wine. And he wants people like you and me to participate with him. But first and foremost, God is the landowner. The second, we are the laborers. We were made to work in the vineyard. We were made to use our gifts in vocation and in service of God. And it, on a very fundamental level, this story is about people like you and me moving from enmity toward God to friendship with God and then into service where we put our lives in play and we say, God, use us. And that's not just Brad and me who are pastors. It's actually primarily y'all. It's people for whom we get to be useful in God's vineyard, which is the world. We get to use our gifts. We get to use our, our passion, our skills, our time, our, our talent, our resources to say like, we wanna be a part of something. We wanna move from that place of, of apart from to with, to participating with. And Jesus is basically saying that we are all the laborers in the field and that we were made to put our lives into play and be useful for what God would do in the whole world. And that's true in your family. It's true with your friends. It's true at your job. He wants you to be used by him. In his using us, he provides for us. He gives us more than enough to be who we are meant to be and to be taken care of and to be nourished and to be nurtured. So God is the landowner. We are the laborers. And there is work to be done. And that work is the service that I just mentioned. It is putting our lives in play, using our gifts, being engaged, moving from a spectator sport mindset to a participation. God wants you to participate with him. Those are three fundamental things that Jesus is holding as he tells this story. So let's look at the story. Number one, the first thing I think I want us to consider is that this story is all about expectations and entitlement. It's not, this is, I'm not going to talk about uh, fair wage. I'm not going to talk about flat tax. I'm not going to talk about minimal guaranteed income. Um, there is a time and a place to have those conversations. I'm not expert in those spaces. I actually believe that this story is primarily not about money and income. There are other places where Jesus and others in the Bible talk about money, talk about income, talk about justice when it comes to income. For our purposes today, this story that Jesus is telling is not primarily about your wage. It's about your life. This is a more existential story. We tend to, and the ancients were with us in this, have a kind of vending machine mindset. If I put in this, I'll get this back. If I do this, this will come in return. At your job, you should have that expectation. You should be paid for what you do. In life, expectations are tricky. Um, they evolve. Similar to the people who've been in the field all day, their expectations evolved to a remarkable extent compared to the people who came in very late in the day. 
The older we get, the more we have to face and confront and engage our own expectations and begin to know what they are and to name them. So I want you to think about job promotions, inheritance, a gift from parents, a bonus at work, something you've expected from a friend or a family member. I want you to think bigger. What happens when some significant hope or dream does not work out like you'd expected? What do you do when life doesn't go the way you hoped? What happens when God doesn't meet our expectations of how life should go? Sometimes we respond really poorly when that happens. Some of us are maybe responding poorly right now to disappointment, hurt. Lord knows I've had my share of times where I was spinning out because things were not going the way I thought they would go or the way I thought they should go or the way I thought I deserved for them to go. So here's a big question for us to ask ourselves. What happens inside of us when we feel we're owed something, but we don't receive it? In this sense, this story is not about a day's work. It's about your life. So let's look at the different groups. The second movement here is there are two groups in this story. One group, things go way better than expected. Another group, things are worse than expected. But they all agreed to go to work at various junctures of the day for what was a normal, typical, well, actually the early group at 6 a.m. agrees to go to work for a fair wage, a just wage, a denarii. One a day, that's the wage in the ancient world for a laborer. Actually, those that started at nine, 12, three, and again at five aren't told how much they're going to be paid. They're just trusting probably that it'll be some prorated amount of what they agreed to do. So let's sit with the first group, the ones for whom it goes better. On one level, Jesus is telling a story here about people who convert late to faith. So like in the New Testament, there's all this insider outsider stuff going on, right? You had like Jews and then you had all these Gentiles that started to come to faith and things were tricky. Things got uh, tough. And so there were some within the early church that were like thinking questions like, well, who the heck do these people think they are? We've been at this all along. So on one level, Jesus is telling a story about people who convert to faith later in life. Now, if that's you, there is no making up for lost time. There is no shame. There is no sense of being penalized for coming to faith later. Jesus welcomes you in and he says, you're in, you're with me, you're friends with me. But for those who'd been at it for a long time, there's a sense in which overtime expectations begin to form that they probably aren't even totally aware of. Now, on some level, you can think of a church in some part of America where, you know, everybody kind of knows the rules and everybody looks a certain way. And then like somebody comes in like me that's covered in tattoos and they just think, wait, who do these people think they are? That's not Trinity's story for the most part. Um, I think the challenge for us is welcoming transition and change and hoping for good for other people while not thinking, well, if you do good to them, God, you're gonna do a lot of good for me because I've been working at this for a long time if you've been following Jesus. 
The second group, things are worse. This is actually the group for whom the teaching of Jesus is aimed. It's, this is who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to people who have worked all day long for a fair wage. They have used their gifts. They've used their talents. They've been faithful. They've done all the things that they were tasked to do. They put their lives into play. And over time, they begin to believe that they have earned something and are owed something. Those words, earned and owed, those are tricky and dangerous words. I, I just want to say this, um, at the risk of even sounding overly provocative, God doesn't owe you anything. Your job, they owe you things. We live in relationships where we feel owed things. Sometimes that's real and sometimes that's more shadowy than we would like, but God doesn't owe us. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us long life. He doesn't owe us health. He doesn't owe us beauty and shalom in all of our relationships. He doesn't owe us a job that we're gonna love. And yet, if we're not careful over time, we can begin to think that we've earned things and that we are owed things. Now, the truth of the matter is God is good. I believe that. I believe that he is good. I also believe that we live in a broken and fallen world where things don't always turn out like we had hoped that they would. This group says maybe the truest statement about where they were. When they looked at these relative newcomers, they said accusingly, you have made them equal to us. And I want you to be very wary of expectations and an encroaching sense of entitlement as you live your life because that kind of entitlement creates a burden that actually makes it harder for us to flourish as human beings. And I find it interesting that we live in a world where we are deconstructing power and hierarchy and yet almost all of us are always looking at where we fall on the pecking order. It's just ingrained in us. And I have a theory about where that comes from, and we're going to talk about it in a few moments. Here's the next thing I think Jesus wants us to see, that in his economy, the pay is the same. Whether you came in late or you came in early, whether you were withholding your participation in gifts um, and then put them into play later, or whether you've been all in the whole time, the pay is the same. What Jesus is trying to say here is that in reality, there are no insiders and outsiders in the family of God. But he's also saying that the dynamics, because of people like us, is that we do create insider and outsider dynamics. We do look at our own lives and our own faithfulness and our own work and our own um, fidelity and we compare and contrast that to um, our lives with other people if we're not careful. And I believe that Jesus is trying to get us to see something, which is that it is his instinct to be the God who gives us more than enough, that is just in the way that we live our lives and the way that we experience life. And yet, we struggle sometimes. The next thing we see in this passage is that there is real danger in comparison Jesus uses this employment language to teach us something about life. And in your job, you are um, and should expect to be paid a fair wage. 
But the danger in living life more indirectly in the family of God and in our own relationships is that when we begin to compare ourselves to other people and consequently begin to adjust what we feel that we're owed based on what we see them experiencing, we're walking down a really dangerous road. I believe that instinct comes from a scarcity mindset. I think that when I'm insecure about whether I'm going to be okay, then I will be more worked up about what I perceive you have or are getting or what is happening in your own life. And Jesus, I think in this moment is wanting each person to walk their own journey before God, putting their lives at play and know that he's the kind of God who's going to take care of each person as they enter the story and that he's going to do what he wants to do in terms of being the God of generosity and a God of more than enough. Here's what I think was happening. So the, the master is clearly pushing the issue here because when he's paying at the end of the day, he says, I want to start with those who have been on, in the vineyard the shortest amount of time and then work my way backward. He knew that there was going to be an excavation of expectations as this story unfolded. I also believe that when he said, I'm going to pay you what's right, he knew that there was going to be an opportunity for expectations to be explored. Now, that first group probably thought two things when they left and got their denarii. This is awesome. And I bet those other people are going to make more money than I thought they were going to make because they were living in the same kind of meritocracy that we were living in. They were thinking, I'm so thankful. And yet I bet he's going to give them two or three denarii. And yet the truth of the matter is the comparison game was going to trap those who had been in a faithful space for a longer period of time. And Jesus wanted to excavate. He wanted to reveal some stuff that would really hold them back. And y'all, I think he wants to do the very same thing for each and every one of us. When we live our lives looking at other people, we're running in a dangerous direction. Because finally, God is the one who sets the tone in his vineyard. God decides to do what he wants to do. Here, I'll read it. Verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I once heard a pastor say God has made the ground at the foot of the cross to be level, meaning when we get there, whether we've been at it for a long time or just barely at it, whether we're really good at Christianity or not so good at Christianity, when we get to Jesus, we're standing in a level place. And I think that's actually true. I think it's actually part of the heart of what Jesus is getting at in this story. But your unexamined expectations can and will distract and derail you. It happens to all of us. The places where we get off track are the places where we think we're owed something that maybe we're not owed. We live in a world um, that is broken, a world that is painful. Paul wrote the letter that he wrote while suffering in prison. And there's a part of me that thinks that Paul's statements about to live as Christ and to die as gain is that he was getting to a point to where he realized like faithfulness is not just about here and now. God's faithfulness is about the bridge on this side and that side of eternity. Like that song that we sang during our music around 
You've been faithful. I know some of you struggle to sing that because you don't feel like it's, where has God been faithful to me right here? And I just want to say to you, the kindness of God, the goodness of God does not insulate us from the hurts of life. But what it can do is give us a kind of vision that spans a longer arc, this life, the next life, to where we see that God is able to hold us, he is able to care for us, that he actually is the God of more than enough. And I've been thinking about this. It's like, if you have a a cancer diagnosis, is God able to be more than enough to you? If you're going through a relationship challenge, a job crisis, a, a, a conflict that doesn't resolve with a friend, can God enter into that space and be the God who is more than enough? I believe that he can, but I believe we have to actually really, really wrestle and contend with our expectations so that we begin to see a broader arc of time than we normally do. Those day laborers were focused in the finitude of that day versus the bigger picture. And I think that happens to all of us in one way or another. So here are some questions that I wanna leave you with. And this is more, normally um, we have one and today we're gonna have three. I think this is more journal material. What happens inside you when you feel that you're owed something but don't receive it? Name a time when you felt tempted to compare yourself to someone else. What did it stir up in you? And what might it look for you to reject fears around scarcity? I believe Jesus wants to get at the under the current stuff so that we would live our lives more free than we would otherwise be. If you're able, let's stand together. Every Sunday we come to this table and we are fed by God, we're fed communion. And it's on a day like today that I'm most thankful for that because what it does is it reminds me that Even in the places where I feel stuck, God feeds me, cares for me, nourishes me. The same is true for you. Before we come, we quiet our hearts. And in this moment of silence, I want you to confess your sin before God. Just silently name the places where maybe we've got ourselves a little bit off track. Maybe we are feeling some things are owed to us. I want us to confess our faults before God and then we'll pray together, we'll read together, we'll come to communion. But first, let's be still before the Lord.